Production support comes from Smithville, a locally owned business serving central and southern Indiana since 1922 with residential and business internet, phone, and security services. Smithville, local pride, global technology. Information at smithville.net. Welcome to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Zaltzberg, editor of the Herald Times, and today we're going to talk about the housing market in Indiana. Mary Catherine couldn't be with us today, but joining me in the studio are Indiana State University economics professor Bob Gill and broker-owner of REMAX Realty Professionals in Bloomington, Jim Regester. If you have questions or comments, you can phone us on the program by calling 855-0811 or 1-877-285-9348. And our web address is wfiu.org slash noon edition. Bob, Jim, thanks for being here with us. Hi, Bob. Thanks. It's uh, hey, happy good to be to here. See, good to see both of you back. And uh, we uh, have a, an interesting topic today talking about the housing market. I think there – hopefully there will be a lot of people out there that – have an interest in that and maybe some stories to tell. But uh, I wanted to start out by just citing a, a report that was issued yesterday that, that said uh, – it was actually issued by the Indiana Association of Realtors saying that home sales went up 8.6 percent in June from the same month last year and that the median price went up 1.3 percent and that makes uh, makes sales uh, – sales have gone up now for four consecutive months and median prices have increased in nine straight months. So I wanted to get both of your reactions to that. Is that what you're seeing? Jim, is that what you're seeing in Monroe County? Uh, yeah. we're uh, First of all, I'd say uh, Monroe County, uh, we consider ourselves an oasis in the uh, state economy uh, compared to most every other county in Indiana. We uh, do very well, mostly because of the campus that we're sitting on right now and and uh, some of the life sciences uh, industries we have, the hospitals, Cook, Baxter, and the others. So that's that's been a great asset for our community and our economy. We are seeing similar numbers, um, both in terms of a slight increase in the median uh, list price, sale price, um, and uh, our volume is is up a bit when we look at the, the last 12 months versus the previous 12 months. Mm-hmm. It's, it's actually up a nice healthy amount, about 9 percent. Um, but depending on who's selling what and, and how it's being it, – there's you know there is discounting going on too. So those numbers can be a little tricky. But overall, looking at the median numbers, it looks it looks pretty good mm-hmm. from a year ago. We've seen a nice increase. OK. And Bob, how would you uh, – I mean how would you assess this for the state? Are, are we in a healthy situation? I, I would be – I want to back up a second because yeah, sure. most of the data is is drawn from a period in which uh, the federal government through the uh, tax credits were putting the the gas pedal to the floor on encouraging home sales so that, that the fact that they were up is not surprising. So the, the, the present tense uh, verb are how well are we doing is uh, somewhat – uh, challenging at this moment. We were doing well when there was a significant tax advantage to be buying houses uh, earlier in the year. My my suspicion is we're not doing quite that well right now, that mm-hmm. uh, we're rebuilding the backlog of, of homes. But in Indiana uh, and nationally, the, the GDP report came out this morning in uh, residential uh, investment was higher than it was the previous year. Was a contributor to what was otherwise fa- fairly slack growth. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, just to sort of set the uh, the I guess see how where the bar is set now. I mean, when when the market started to go sour, you know, when the economy started to go bad and things started, you know, prices were were dropping. I mean, what? How far did things? go down in the state of Indiana and then how did it compare to, to Monroe? I mean think about median home prices. Were they – I mean I know you, you hear tales about Florida for instance where you know something used to be half a million dollars you can pick up for $100,000 an hour, you know, things of that nature. But how, how did the home prices um, – how did the uh, recession affect home prices here in the state? Home prices uh, to my understanding now you, – you, in, in order to do home prices right, you have to talk about the same house selling. 
uh, because people can be in a particular market, uh, a, a particular kind of house can go on the market and can change the numbers. So for instance, during that period of time, Pfizer started pulling out of Vigo County and all of the three hundred and $400,000 homes started getting sold in, in a particular neighborhood. And Though the housing price went up in the county, it was demonstrably because of a bad thing. So you have to look at sort of same house sales. And unfortunately, the Case-Shiller Index that does housing price doesn't include any Indiana cities as one of them. So we can't – we don't have the perfect housing price index. But for Midwestern cities that are in the index, that I would assume that would be very similar to Indiana – there was nowhere near the spike in housing over the course of the last decade nor the trough that, uh, that occurred in the Miami, San Diego's, uh, Las Vegas and so on. Mm-hmm. And I think locally, looking at it locally, uh, going back three years mm-hmm. to uh, when uh, everyone was somewhat oblivious to what was about to happen. The good old days. The good old days <laughs> and even further back in the – 05s and 04s, those are wonderful markets in our area especially. Uh, We saw things start to degrade um, in new construction that had been overbuilt in certain segments in the 350 range or so forth uh, where properties just weren't selling. Now, again, one of the advantages for Monroe County is that a large – a lot of the sellers didn't have to sell. We were very fortunate that our employment held up fairly well relative to the rest of the state and the nation for sure. So there weren't a lot of forced sales. I've lost my job. I can't pay my mortgage. I've got to sell my house. That scenario, while it did play out here, was, was minimal compared to many others, especially when you start talking about uh, Michigan or, or other um, states. So we didn't get – we didn't get caught in that particular impact and downward spiral. We just – what we really saw was a, a, a lot less number of transactions occurred. People that were planning to sell and move up, they just sat on their house. Maybe they did a little remodeling, but they didn't interject themselves forcibly into the market to create an, a, a dramatic oversupply. So our impact primarily in the 07, 08 – and going into 09 was a, a, a significant drop in the number of units. But our prices, depending on what numbers you look at, were pretty close to static, to, to flat. And um, I've talked to a few appraisers who have said that, the, that we're one of the few markets in the state that was never classified as a declining market. Um, I guess they called us stable. We weren't an increasing market. But the, so uh, that was helpful, but we had a lot less number of home sale over the last few years. Mm-hmm. And then recently, as uh, Bob's pointed out, in the last 12 months and certainly in the first part of this year, the stimulus tax credit for first-time home buyers and then for uh, other buyers, not just first-time, came into play significantly. And we were very, very busy in March and April as the deadline approached. Um, so – a lot of people just moved up. If they were going to move this year, if they were savvy at all about it, they got in there and found a house before April 30th and they're in the process of wrapping up those transactions now. That uh, and to a much lesser degree, the fact that school starting a little earlier this year has caused things to to slow down a bit right now in the month of July. Uh, Once things get settled in for school, we're hoping for the typical seasonal increase, little bump in September that we see almost every year and that's mm-hmm. that's that's where we're sitting right now but I I certainly agree with Bob that um to try to predict anything based on what's happened in the last few years is would be a very dangerous uh, uh guess. Are there are there any other incentives that are out there or any incentives planned for 2011 for well, home buyers? Th- there's no legal or tax incentive uh but there's a mighty big structural incentive for anybody who's anywhere close to having a uh, a need or a desire to move up in the housing industry, that uh, mortgage interest rates are absurdly mm-hmm. low. Uh, over, the, the, over the last three, four weeks, uh, interest rates for 30-year fixed for people of decent credit, 720 or better uh, on a FICO score, uh, have fallen into the four fives. 
And so if you can – if you can – if you've got decent credit and you can buy a house, you don't need the federal government handing you a check for $8,000 because that $8,000 would be entirely overwhelmed by the fact that five years ago, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, you were going to be – your monthly payment was going to be much, much more at 6 or 7 percent than it will be if you can get into a house at 4.5 percent. Mm-hmm. And you can lock 4.5 percent in for 30 years. And it had it had been something that you know four and a half percent was a teaser loan on a one year ARM that was going to bump to ultimately be seven percent. But this is one that you could count on. This is a wonderful time if you've got uh, on this campus a, a tenured job uh, to to buy a house. This is a wonderful time if you're in uh, the bio biomedical industry in uh, this part of the uh, the state. Uh, where you could get a real bargain with a very low interest rate. So the fact that the federal government isn't in there with uh, extra cash shouldn't dissuade people from being interested in moving up in housing. I want to give our phone numbers again. I want to follow up on that. But again, we're at 855-0811 in Bloomington, outside of the Bloomington area, which of course includes Terre Haute, where Bob's from, one 877 285-9348. The website is wfiu.org slash noon edition if you'd prefer to send us an email with a comment or a question. Um, how e- easy is it for people to get money now? Uh, you mentioned the FICO score. I know there were stories in the news uh, recently that, that people's credit scores are at an all-time low basically that, that there have been so many people that have been overextended and whatnot. Is it easy for people to go in if they want to get if they want to, to step up in the housing market, is it easy for people to get money? Well, it's credit score driven in, in, a, in a nutshell. Uh, we used to have a lot of other factors involved and, and of course employment and, and uh, having the right amount of cash available and so forth are all important factors. But the credit score is the litmus, litmus test these days. Um, you know, 680, you can – probably get a loan. They, you might get dinged a little bit on the costs or the rate. Uh, if you want to look going into an FHA loan uh, or certainly if someone has a VA eligibility, it's a little bit easier there. Uh, but as Bob said, <clears throat> 720 plus is where you want to be to go in and get the best possible rate, lowest closing costs. Um, and uh, uh, not have any problems at all. Yeah, can you talk a little bit about the, this trend to you know the credit score being the the big thing? I mean, what's what's changed? I mean, I, I think I know what's changed, but how how has that become so much more important than whether you've got a job and you've got money coming in? And because the credit score has always been the the predictor of the degree to which you're going to default, mm-hmm. but if the asset upon which you're going to default continues to appreciate at 5 percent, the person who loaned you the money is never going to lose money because even if you stop making payments and you're unable to make your payments and they have to foreclose, they're going to make their money back because the thing they have, the collateral on that loan, has appreciated in value. Mm -hmm. It's only when uh, the more realistic circumstance with regard to housing uh, is maintained, which is that housing prices go up at a at a rate no greater than or less than inflation, that the the probability of default becomes the most important factor in determining whether you're going to get a loan. Mm-hmm. Are a lot of people refinancing at this point? Jim, are you aware of that? Is there a oh, lot yeah. of refinancing? Yes, they are. In fact, that's been going on now. Uh, for quite a while, uh, depending on uh, uh, where you're at and and what your uh, what's been the appreciation or or depreciation in the values of your home, I, I know in other parts of the state, in some of the neighborhoods, say for example Indianapolis, where they have been in a declining market and people have tried to go in after having financed it three or four years ago, and it's, there's just nowhere to go. Uh, the values literally have decreased to the point where 
they're not going to be – they couldn't go back in and refinance their existing amount, let alone try to do something and take take money out. Mm-hmm. So, Yeah. Uh, imagine somebody who got a, a pretty good loan, mm-hmm. an excellent loan yeah. three years ago, you know, right. a five, five, five and a half percent loan three years ago, uh, buying a $250,000 house and um, having a mortgage for 90 percent of it. If you're in a declining market and you say, well, I can save $100, $300 a month on my mortgage payment if I get it refinanced, you go in and the value of the thing's only you know, 210 then you have to go to the closing of this thing with a fairly sizable check to realize that savings in the payment and, and people aren't going to go there. It's only those folks who, who had a considerable amount of equity – that would find refinancing in this market to be a no-brainer positive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's correct. All right. We have a couple of phone calls. Let's go to Deborah first. Deborah. Hi. Thank you for taking my phone call. Sure, Deborah. Go ahead. Well, I have a property that I am very much interested in buying, um, and the lady that owns the property got a home equity loan in 2007 and had it appraised in November of 2007. She's basing the price, her asking price, on that appraisal. I just had a bank appraisal done last week, the place where I would like to get the loan to buy the house, and it was about $50,000 less, the appraised value. What can I say to her realtor and her to help me get the price down so that I can get this property? Jim, that sounds like a question for you. Okay. Well, uh the appraisal that was done by the bank is technically the property of the bank. Now, they probably have disclosed to you the, the price and unless you ordered the appraisal yourself and you actually own that appraisal. Um, you know, you do, no reason to dance around on this. You need to just go to them and say, here is a current appraisal uh, based on current sales and here's what the – in the opinion of this appraiser in my bank, this is what your property is worth and I, I can't justify paying you any more than the market value. I think you just need to confront it head on. I, I, I realize you have a lot of desire to buy the property, but uh, she may be upside down, it sounds like, uh, just like Bob was talking about. Uh, she De- may, Define may upside down. Upside down, meaning yeah. you'd be in a position where the, uh, the mortgage balance, uh, there wouldn't be enough net proceeds from the sale to pay off the mortgage. And, and you've probably heard of a short sale, and that, that's the kind of situation that they're in. Those are possible. Uh, depending on who her lender is, those take months to get approved. Uh, banks have gotten a little bit better at it because they've seen the writing on the wall. That they uh, And depending on what area you are in the state and what your market's like, it, those could be prevalent and could be even almost routine. Um, but I guess the first thing to do, would uh, there's no reason to – to be shy about it, you do, if you can, either in writing, get the copy of the value and say, look, this is what it is. If you're willing to pay uh, that appraised value from your appraiser, right. uh, I just put that to them and, and see if they're, you're even in the ball game. It, it, it may not be economically feasible for that seller to sell the property to you at that price or to sell it at all right now in the market, depending on where you're at. But it should be a good wake-up call for them and at least get, the, get it on the table. It, it's one of the uh, unfortunate aspects of the, the modern securitization of mortgages is that if, in fact, she owes more than the value of this property and can't take that $50,000 hit out of her equity but, in fact, owes a portion of it, then the, the securitization has made it so that she doesn't even know the name of the person who actually owns her note. And so the the process of tracking down the actual holder of the debt to forgive a portion of it if she's going to walk away from a portion of it, that's essentially what a short sale is, becomes that much more difficult. If we had been in this situation 70 years ago with Jimmy Stewart loaning us the money, uh, <laughs> then you know, Jimmy Stewart could make a rational decision relatively quickly as to whether to allow the sale to go forward and take less money for it because it would have been uh, that mortgage held at that small town bank. Right. All right, Deborah, is that okay? 
Okay. Yeah, that's wonderful. Thank you so okay. much. Okay. All, All right. right. Thanks a lot for the call. Our phone numbers again, 855-0811-877-285-9348 and WFIU.org slash Noon Edition is our website. Stan, go ahead. Hi. Uh, this may be impractical because of political considerations, but instead of uh, using federal funds to assist new buyers, would it be possible and this would have to be on a large scale, to use funds to assist people whose mortgages are larger than they can afford now in some way a Marshall Plan for homeowners um, in, in conjunction with the mortgage holders, as you say, they have to be found. Um, but it seems to me this could be a public-private uh, operation. It, it would be on a large scale, and I can hear the talk about bureaucracies and all, but uh, is something like that at all feasible to consider? I'll hang up now. All right, Stan. Thanks. It was one of the things that uh, many on the left were were very interested in going into uh, mid-2008 into early 2009, that uh, trying to convince banks to write down principal rather than uh, simply making uh, interest concessions or payment extensions or taking the payment out – for more years. Uh, the big banks may have been on their knees uh, with a tin cup, but they still had enough power in Washington to make sure that they didn't have to write down principal. And in large part, it was probably a particularly reasonable thing for uh, policymakers to, to not do what it is you were suggesting because at that time, um, many of the large banks were – uh, by the accounting rules at the time, uh, technically bankrupt. And if uh, they had had to take a large write-down in assets, uh, they would have perhaps not survived even with the TARP help that they got. So the, in, in abstract, your notion of uh, having the banks – and this was uh, the language at the time – take a haircut, that is take 10 percent off the value of uh, the, their portfolio was reasonable. It was not feasible at a time when the banks themselves were in trouble. My thought on that uh, and I did think about it as it was discussed throughout the uh, debates on the various options for the stimulus package and so forth. I was actually hopeful that something could be done and, and the, the bureaucracy is, is probably impossible. But I like to view that and I always thought that the home mortgage, the homeowner was the base foundation of our, our, our housing market and certainly real estate and perhaps the economy because this whole foreclosure hassle has been pervasive throughout the whole economic downturn and has continued to, to – uh, 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 Continue to continue to uh, cause it not to rebound, uh, and so I, again, bureaucracy aside, I thought that we should look at those as toxic assets, much like the banking industry and their massive uh, bundles of billions and billions of toxic assets, where the the government came in and took those off their plate to improve their uh, economic viability and their standing and their ratios of capital and so forth that perhaps uh, if it were any way possible that we could take a look at the worst mortgages that were upside down. We have – maybe we have good um, credit or, or buyers that would – or owners that would continue to pay but they're upside down. Maybe we should have had the government grab those loans and get those off the table for lots of reasons. It would have stopped a lot of foreclosures that have happened and would have allowed – maybe been a bit of a safety net for some of the downward spiral in, in some of the local economies across the country. Yet it would have been a horrific signal to uh, future capital markets that make a really bad decision and uh, Uncle Sam will come riding in on a, a white horse to bail you out of your really horrific decision. Yeah. Uh, it th There were no really good options that were uh, – that were on the table and rejected uh, this – that was one of the options that could have been taken. That is to uh, browbeat the banks, the mortgage lenders into 
uh, writing down principal on on homes that were clearly overvalued when they were purchased and uh, to get them into a position where the person could ultimately sell. So let me let me take your side of the 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 mm-hmm. theoretical question for for a moment and say suppose you uh, bought a house that was in two thousand worth. Uh, no, say half a million dollars in Las Vegas, uh, but so you're, you you don't have that house in 2000, but you buy it for a half a million in 2006 because housing prices in Las Vegas doubled between 2000 and 2006, and then they're right back to where they were in 2000. So you bought the house for half a million dollars. Now it's worth a quarter of a million dollars. It's not likely to go back to a half a million anytime soon. And you have it and you're struggling to cobble together the mortgage payment on it. The bankruptcy code, uh, if you were to walk away from the, that house, knows what to do and that the house is worth 250000 You owe more than you can pay. You declare bankruptcy. You're out from under it and on we go and we can go back to efficiently behaving and, and choosing where to live and work. In a, in, a, in a world in which we don't write down the principal from a half a million to a quarter of a million, the person in that – the well-behaved person in that house is essentially stuck living in that house in Las Vegas for the rest of their life and that's not economically efficient. So the, those people who are proposing the write-down on the, the value of the portfolios were suggesting that – uh, we're locking an entire generation of 30 to 50-year-olds in homes they can't afford in cities they don't want to live in. Mm-hmm. All right. We're gonna, I'm going to go to uh, the break now. We've got a phone call, but we're gonna, I'm going to ask Wayne to be patient. We'll come back to Wayne when we get back after the break. You're listening to Noon Edition. We'll be right back. This is Noon Edition on WFIU. Production support comes from Smithville Telephone, information at smithville.net. You can take WFIU programs with you by downloading our podcasts directly to your computer, iPod, or portable player. Programs like Noon Edition, Ask the Mayor and Harmonia, or short features like Kinsey Confidential, the Ether Game Musical Mini Quiz, as well as play and opera reviews are all available on demand. Find out more at WFIU.org. And have you heard WFIU's news features? On Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays, the WFIU news team brings you expanded and in-depth reports on topics affecting South Central Indiana. Listen at 8.33 a.m., 11.55 a.m., and 5.45 p.m. to catch that day's feature. They're also archived on our website, WFIU.org. Welcome back to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Salzberg from the Herald Times. And Mary Catherine couldn't be with us today, but I have two great guests in the studio, Indiana State University economics professor Bob Gill and broker owner of REMAX Realty Professionals in Bloomington, Jim Regester. Uh, you can join us on the program by calling 855-0811 or 1-877-285-9348. Our website is wfiu.org slash noon edition. And I ask Wayne to be patient. So uh, he's here now. Wayne, go ahead. Okay, I, I have two quick questions. First question, h- how much of, of uh, our current low interest rates is due to Federal Reserve policy? If Federal Reserve is making, uh, making money av- available to banks, very low interest rates. Is, is that what is causing um, our, our low mortgage rates? And, and let's, get that, let's get that answered first. Yeah. Bob? Uh, sure. A, a significant portion is, uh, in fact, Federal Reserve policy. Now, they stopped buying mortgage-backed securities, but they've signaled that they may, in fact, be back into the business of buying them uh, again soon. Uh, but clearly having uh, zero on the Fed funds rate and uh, zero on the Fed funds rate targeted for an indeterminate period of time is having uh, some effect. The other effect is the flee of uh, money to the relative safety and I know this is the uh, fairly odd thing to be saying two years after the financial crisis but the relative safety of dollar-denominated assets, one of which is 
are, are U.S. mortgages. So uh, there's two two dominant effects. The first one is is in fact, as you suggest, Federal Reserve policy. The other is that the rest of the world is in uh, much worse shape than we are. Second. Second question. Thank you. Second question. Uh, you, you already mentioned higher credit s- scores that are, that are being uh, being used. I assume that, that even though the interest rates are low, the credit requirements are much greater than they used to be. So, so if you go into a bank, you you want to get a loan to buy some property, you better you better be able to prove that you're a good credit risk, right? Jim? Yeah, that's that's true. Uh, they're no matter what you do, they're going to check your credit, and they actually get a report from three different agencies, and they typically look at the middle score to uh, use in evaluating your loan. It's not to say that if you have a credit score below six hundred and eighty, you can't get a mortgage. You you can, but they are they classify those loans uh, up front. And uh, people are going to pay instead of the four and a half percent on a thirty-year fix. Now you might be looking at six or seven percent uh, these days. And a couple of years ago, people would pay nine percent uh, if they had uh, deficiencies in their credit. So you can get it, but uh, the the golden uh, path to a great mortgage is the credit score. And if you can. Uh, look at your credit score. Uh, I'm not suggesting that you sign up for one of those internet companies. I think you go in and talk to your bank and who might possibly give you a loan and say, can you go ahead and pull my credit report and let's look at it. Oftentimes there are several items on there that can relatively easily be erased. And uh, it's a simple process of uh, writing letters and they have to either prove that it's still, if you dispute it, they have to prove that it's still valid. And if they can't, I believe it's in as little as 30 days, they have to remove it from your report. So oftentimes you can make actual dramatic improvements in your credit score and put yourself in a position to take advantage of and benefit from these historically low interest rates that we so have. So what kind, what kind of factors might those be that you could write a letter about and say this, you know, and, and dispute something that was on your score? Well, uh, oftentimes if you're involved in a credit situation with more than one party, mm-hmm. a, a spouse or possibly an ex-spouse, mm-hmm. uh, you can argue that it wasn't you, it was them. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes there – and, and, and in all these systems, the bureaucracy is, is, is massive. So there are lots of mistakes made and oftentimes you paid something off and it still shows up on your credit report. You have proof of it being paid off or they – or again, you just challenge those things and they will have to either prove that they're, they're still valid. Uh, a, a lending institution may not have released something or reported it as paid off and it has been. Sometimes it's very simple and it, in two or three items like that, especially the worst things on your credit report, you get rid of those, your score will go up dramatically. Mm-hmm. I also – you know, there's other things about your credit – People think that they have less credit cards or little or no, that that's a good thing. It's not true. You need to have credit to get a good credit score and uh, you need to ideally have active credit where if you have credit card and you, and you say, I'm just not using them, if you've got expenses you're going to pay anyway uh, through a check or whatever, maybe you should pay them with your credit card pay off that card every month. If they see a nice pattern of charge and payoff, charge and payoff, that will increase your credit score. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, again, our phone number is 855-0811, 877-285-9348-WFIU.org slash Noon Edition is the website if you want to send us an email or uh, with a comment or a question. Um, one, of the, uh, one of the things that, that I know – I always look at when I'm going to look for a house is how long or when I want to sell a house, how long are homes typically on the market? Has that number been increasing? Has it started to decrease? What is that? What is that number in Bloomington? In Bloomington, I just happen to have some statistics here, <laughs> I Bob. knew you did. Uh, we have been fortunate. Uh, the average days on the market in the previous 12 months, that's like uh, August of 2009 through July of 2010. The average days on the market has only been 91 and that's a good number. That's a that's the good old days number almost. Uh, I think that's partly due to adjustments that have been made in the market and realistic expectations of sellers and proper pricing of, of homes. Uh, the previous year from the 
uh, 08 into 09, that number was 126. So we've gone down from a little over four months to, on average to a little around three months in general. Um, and again, that's with our pricing holding up. It hasn't dramatically increased. Um, our median selling price was up from uh, 131 to 135,000. Now that's not the average. The average price in our area is 100. Went from 157.5 to about 161,000. Mm-hmm. I think the average is. Uh, I think you guys were talking about that beforehand. If if uh, one house that was, it's 1.4 million dollars sells, and that's going to drive the average. Up, so. Yeah, the median is is the sort of second best uh, number. The first best number is same house sales, uh, and in a community this of this size, you get very few of those. Mm-hmm. Um, the uh, other item that we were talking about a little bit before is foreclosures. How, how what is the foreclosure rate doing throughout the state and and in Bloomington Monroe County? I I had a, a caller uh, just in the newsroom. I think it might have been yesterday morning who left me a, a, a message about how he thought there were foreclosures were going through the roof in Monroe County, Owen County, you know, our, our south-central Indiana area. True? Not true. I mean, well, nationally, foreclosures uh, are at, uh, at an all-time high but are not, quote, going through the roof. I mean they, they were still working our way through people who tried to hold on to the last moment and – Foreclosure, thankfully, takes several months to go through. So we're still working through the foreclosures that were the train wreck that we saw coming nine months ago uh, simply happening now. Uh, They will continue to be at uh, around a million a year probably through 2012 uh, and then uh, we can start to likely to see them uh, move down, and much of that is because of the resetting of the uh, ridiculous adjustable rate uh, pay, pay option mortgages that uh, existed uh, in two thousand five, two thousand six. Mm-hmm. And and once again, for our the economy in our area, uh, specifically Monroe County, I think when you get out into the surrounding counties where employment is not as good and so forth. You, you, I'm sure you've seen an increase there to a degree, although uh, fortunately people tend to be a little more conservative in those areas too. So they're a little more frugal, if you will, and don't put themselves in those positions uh, as much. Um, around here, we've seen a very slight increase in what I would call um, mainstream housing uh, in the city itself, very, very few actually. What we've continued to see uh, have been more in the outlying areas of the county, the uh, rural housing loan type homes, uh, people that are, you know, maybe just barely getting into the market and then have some precipitous event occur, job loss, divorce, death or something that has upset the whole House of Cards, so to, and and they end up uh, 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 defaulting on their loan and get into a foreclosure. But I have seen some nicer properties, uh, depending on individual circumstances, that have come on the market. In fact, uh, uh, I purchased a foreclosed home uh, in Bloomington, a very nice uh, condominium, and I'm living there now. <laughs> All right, and I'm refinancing this week. Uh-huh. And getting three and a half percent on a five-year adjustable. So wow. you, you are testament to good credit. That's right. There yeah, you thank go. You. All right, our phone numbers again. We have about uh, about ten or twelve minutes to go in the program. So if you have questions or comments about this issue of the housing market, uh, or any certainly any questions for our experts here, call us at eight five five zero eight one one or one eight seven seven two eight five nine three four eight. Our website is wfiu.org/noonedition. Wanted to sort of dip into the political realm a little bit and just ask about policy decisions that have been made in the last two or three years since we've seen this uh, this um, really sort of historic time in terms of, of what's happened with uh, the economy. Um, well, the, the last time we were here, we were uh, – I, I was at least talking about uh, Ben Bernanke and, and uh, how we had essentially the right guy at the right time in the right place. Uh, and I continue to believe that that he's sort of that and there, and the policy making to keep interest rates very low uh, is is 
driven almost entirely by a fear of what happened in Japan in the 1990s. That uh, if you're not familiar with uh, what happened in, in real estate and all assets in Japan in the 1990s, uh, you need to go back to the Nikkei average, which is uh, their stock market, uh, and note that it was at 39,000 in late 1988 and hasn't seen above 17,000 in the 25, 30 years since. Uh, it is just a remarkably stagnant economy and it was uh, – and, and the precipitation of that uh, lost decade or more of the 1990s uh, in Japan was really the collapse of their, uh, their commercial real estate market and uh, a deflation took hold that in, in deflation is the opposite of inflation and you may think in a, a relatively simplistic terms that it's good if prices fall uh, because it's bad when prices rise. Well, it's actually worse when prices systemically fall and specifically in real estate. Uh, during the, the good old days slash stupid old days of, the, the, of five, six years ago, people were buying houses – for fear that they couldn't afford to wait next year to buy them, which was artificially driving them up. The opposite end of that is actually worse because if you wait to buy a house knowing that it's going to come down in price by thirty or 40000 then everybody's waiting to sell and everybody's waiting to buy and prices continue to collapse. And so any policy, any policy that forestalls or prevents a deflationary spiral is one that has to be seriously considered. And uh, when I said a few years ago or a year and a half ago that Ben Bernanke was the right guy, it's because he he specifically wrote in his academic career how to uh, avoid such a scenario and to do so with uh, policies that buy up long-term securities like mortgages. Yeah, and I agree completely and I think that we are in a very delicate situation right now with regards to the commercial property which uh, Bob mentioned was the main problem with the Japanese economy. It's the same thing here. We no longer have the uh, mortgage, commercial mortgage-backed securities and that, that was a bungled venture anyway. It was the wrong approach where a lot of commercial property mortgages were bundled up and sold as uh, uh, investments. Uh, without knowing what was there. But we, we need to avoid the deflation in the commercial market. That That's going to um, – people talk about it all the time. That could be the double dip in the recession or, or worse and I, I firmly believe that. And the problem is a combination of previous bad commercial loans with banks, both national, state and even locally to some degree – and the fact that there's nowhere to place these loans now, nowhere to find participation in them. And, uh, you know, I've even urged our congressmen to take a look at what can we do to come up with uh, some relief. And I'm not asking for them to throw a lot of money at them. I'm asking for them to look at how banks are regulated. We have this self-perpetuating downward spiral when uh, loans get classified and banks are forced to not renew those loans and cause people to have to go back into a very unfriendly market to try to find a replacement loan and they can't. So people that are doing well, the property's fine, they're placing, they're paying their, more, their, their costs and everything are being thrown out into the market to try to find new funding and it's just very difficult to find and, and, and an otherwise loan that was being serviced well – but banks have gotten to where their ratios have been turned upside down or gotten out of whack and the federal government doing their job in regulating it under the current laws comes in and says, you've got to shed some of these loans. So what do they – they have to not renew notes that they otherwise would have renewed or these – their loans that are classified as marginal. Maybe they, they need to give them a little bit of relief and say, you don't have to do it this year. Let's wait another year as long as they're paying it and let's not force this uh, major uh, – impact into the market. And it really is a it, – it's more of a small business uh, credit issue than it is a large business credit issue. Large caps are sitting on piles and piles of cash. Mm -hmm. It's the small business folks that need to get access to the credit that are unable to get it. And one of the policies that 
ought to be uh, addressed soon is the fact that uh, the Federal Reserve is is paying banks interest on the money that they hold in reserve at the Fed. And uh, it's a relatively recent phenomenon to do that, which gives the bank some income from money that is sitting on reserve at the Fed, even excess money that is sitting on reserve at the Fed. And if banks are sitting on piles of cash, that is a problem, especially if they're denying creditworthy small businesses access to that capital because of their concern and their uncertainty. Mm-hmm. Well, Jim, I, I know we've talked about commercial real estate before. You, you do a great deal of your business in commercial real estate. I know, you know in Bloomington, you had a project that was going forward and then stopped and you got out of it. And, and then you know, we, we've written a lot about Peter Dvorak, another local man who's been a very successful developer until recently. And he had a couple of projects that just stopped dead in the water. He couldn't get going forward. Is this part of what you were describing? Yeah, it's it's been a, a uh, evolution over the last few years uh, where a few years ago you could go in and describe a project and pretty much be assured that as long as it met certain ratios, it was going to be funded and it was going to be funded at, at maybe if you're a good customer, 80 percent. Now uh, you go in there and some of the banks that have been bitten a bit, you know, they're at 65 percent. Uh, and it's not just if you want to try to do something new. The project you're referring to evolved over 18 months, and during that, 18, it's one of the worst 18 months to start and then try to complete a project. Uh, basically, as I view it, by the time we were ready to to try to get the final development loan in place, the, the acquisition loan was approved and the site was acquired. But there was a little wrinkle of, of an extra $300,000 needed that really kind of put a damper on going forward on that particular project. Mm-hmm. But it, it, it's like I was referring to before. Even if you've got – it's like we were talking in the housing market. You got an 80 percent loan on a commercial property and it's time to renew that note. Not only do you have to deal with appraisers coming in and their fears of doing their job and the fear of what might happen to the value of that property. So if you're lucky, maybe it gets appraised for the same amount, but the bank only wants to loan you 65 percent. So for every million dollars, that's 150000 more in cash. You need to come up just to stay even. And so it makes it very difficult, if not impossible, to A, launch a new project or B, uh, even continue and refinance and redevelop properties. So when you're talking about uh, you know this, uh, what was the term double dip? I mean, if yeah. if the commercial market um, sort of dries up because of some of these new wrinkles that you're talking about, then we could be facing you know problems similar to what we had, or even worse than what we had a year ago. Yeah, that's what uh, that's the discussion that's been going on and the big fear. Uh, you know, Bloomington again. Our economy is relatively strong. Our employment, I know it's ticked up recently, but is 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 again an oasis in the state. Our occupancies in commercial property has been holding pretty nicely, and that's the key to the value of a commercial property: is does it have tenants and are they paying their rent, and therefore it's capitalized at this value. So that part's uh, pretty well. I've, and I've, I've been fortunate and I've done a lot of uh, business in commercial. I've sold land this year. I've sold office buildings. I've sold industrial sites. Uh, the multifamily market here in Bloomington is still very healthy. Uh, and it's again, it's an it's a influx of money coming from other sources. And that's the one safe haven they, I think they're looking at in general is – you know, one of them is student rental properties in a, on a major campus where people are continue to need to live there and, and go to school. Mm-hmm. So that's helped our our market as well. But you know, again, we're 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 much better off than the rest of the state, yeah. I think, in in both in residential and, and the commercial market. Bob, I wanted to ask you about um, you know the banks, and you know, we just uh, came through a time. I, we just, I think uh, there was just some legislation passed about. Banking, re- banking regulations and uh, I guess my question is how are the banks going to make money in the future? What kind of new fees are we going to see? How are they going to make money since they can't make money in some of the ways they were making it in the past? Uh, well, you can always trust that a banker will figure out a way to make money. Uh, the, banking, the, the banking bill is uh, filled with the phrase the secretary will determine which is 
has got to scare the living daylights out of the banking industry and or funnel a great deal of money to the banking lobby so as to uh, convince the secretary to determine one thing or another. The, the, the notion that we have this new set of rules that everybody knows and that there's a new rule book and everybody's just got to read it is just wrong because the rule book is filled with a lot of we're going to fill in the rules later here. Uh, and so there are, there are definable things that will no longer take place, uh, that banks will no longer be able to essentially gamble with their own money right beside uh, money that is uh, their depositors' money. Th those kinds of things will uh, – are, are fairly clearly a part of the bill. But I promise you the folks at Goldman Sachs will figure out how to uh, make a nice living as will the folks at uh, Bank of America and Citicorp and all the rest. Uh, that, that isn't really the issue. The, uh, the, the, the types of things that used to be able to happen that will be banned are very narrow and, and were not really a part of what sent the real estate market south. The real estate market south went south for its own good reasons and that was that it was overbuilt and that people bought more than they could afford and the, the, the psychology. The finance industry didn't cause it in, in – in most senses, it was uh, ordinary people caused it. The the finance industry simply facilitated it. Mm -hmm. Okay, we have uh, less than a minute to go. I just want to turn to Jim and just say, what price range is selling of, of homes? I mean, what what's selling in in Bloomington, and what uh, what is really sort of stagnant? Well. Uh, as a rule, the higher the price, the less number of units that are going to sell. Sure. I think that's true in most markets and certainly in ours. We're not particularly a wealthy community per se. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and there are, again, as Bob was referring to, it's, it's supply and demand. Now, we haven't seen much of, if any, speculative homes being built. We have seen a resurgence of lot sales recently and that's a great leading indicator, if you will, of what might be happening. Uh, most of those are going to be for custom homes right now, but we are seeing some uh, lots being sold now, and that's that's been a big problem for the subdivision developers who were selling twenty and thirty lots a year, and then suddenly went to zero. Uh, right now, very, uh, very quickly, very quickly, yep. you know, two to two twenty-five looks pretty good right now. Uh, certainly, anything uh, below one seventy-five, there's just certain pockets, and depending on. Uh, where they were right now, even three to three twenty-five looks good. But then you get around that, and you can see. And I'm talking about months of supply, four and five months supply versus maybe ten or eleven months supply. Our average month supply right now is right around eight months okay. across the board. All right. Well, I'm going to have to cut you off because we are out of time. I want to thank Jim Regester and Bob Gill for being here with us today. Bob, maybe we'll see you back in eighteen months or so. Sounds like a plan. <laughs> right. For Ariana Prothero and engineer Mike Pashkash, I'm Bob Zaltzberg. Thanks for listening. Thanks, Bob. Noon Edition is a production of WFIU and the Herald Times. A podcast of this and other WFIU programs is available at WFIU.org. Production support comes from Smithville, a locally owned business serving central and southern Indiana since 1922 with residential and business internet, voice, and security services. Smithville, local pride, global technology. Information at smithville.net.